Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Dan Whitehead. This is Life Too Seriously, and uh, I appreciate you giving us a listen. Uh, welcome. If you're uh, a first-time listener, and welcome back. If you are not, um, I'm going to make this brief. Got lots to do tonight before the big holiday, so um, I want to be able to get right to the episode. I'm sure you want to get right to the episode as well. So for my guest this week, it's Theo Booker. He is a filmmaker. He's a teacher. He's a musician, uh, a rapper specifically. Uh, he is a really great person, someone who I had uh, a really good time talking to and catching up with and just getting to better understand and learn about where he's from and what life was like growing up in Virginia for him and all that good stuff. So um, I'm going to turn it over to our conversation right now. And uh, happy 4th of July to everybody. Hope you're staying safe out there and healthy. And uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, Cedar. Be really annoying in there. Not a problem. Take your time. Cool, cool. Yeah, how you been, man? I've been good. Yeah, I've been uh, keeping busy as much as I can in the quarantine. And I've been lucky I've been able to still work. So keeping mm -hmm. my mind uh, busy. But how about you? Uh, same here, man. Uh, just blessed to be able to still be working. Uh, and uh, just trying to find like a focus to balance like work and play. Like ever since the quarantine started, I feel like I haven't... Uh, allowed myself to be able to play as much as I've been working. So, um, just, just finding that balance. Mm -hmm. You, uh, you teach now, right? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, how do you like that? I imagine it's gotta be pretty cool. Um, it is pretty cool so far. Um, this August, it'll be a year that mm -hmm. I've been teaching. Um, I've been teaching at this community college in Chesterfield, uh, called John Tyler community college. Um, it's definitely interesting. I think one of the funniest things about it is, uh, I was a student not too long ago. So things that I would do that I didn't think my professors would like really trip about, like I trip about it as a professor when my students would do it. <laughs> right, right. So, right. um, it's like a, it's like a really funny, ironic type of thing, but, um, it's really great. The students, uh, I love them a lot. Uh, they actually want to come in and learn everything there is to learn about film. And uh, that makes me feel really good inside uh, as a professor. So. And and uh, what exactly are you teaching now? Uh, right now, uh, as a whole, just basic filmmaking classes. Uh, but right now, this summer, I'm teaching a uh, film appreciation course where we focus on uh, the history of film as well as, like, the conventions that make it. So, like, a little bit of editing some camera stuff here and there, just, uh, teach them how it all works. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and is that something you've always wanted to do? Like be, you know, work in film, but also teach or just kind of, uh, the path that's been provided for you. Um, more so the latter, uh, mm -hmm. as far as just the path being provided for me. Um, I remember when I was at Stevenson, um, I'm not even on front. Like when I was about to graduate, my parents were like, so, uh, looking for a job? I want to get a master's. <laughs> and I was just like, um, I'm going to look for a job because master's like wasn't even on my radar. 
Um, but as you know, uh, Dan, uh, it's super tough uh, in our field to like just nab a job immediately, especially like if you don't know uh, a lot of people in the industry. So, right. um, so I thought about the master's thing, and my parents were just like, you know, why not go for it? Because in my head, I thought I was just going to be learning the same thing that I had just learned at Stevenson for another two years, and I thought it was going to be a waste of time. But um, I was real, I was super wrong. Uh, really glad that I did it. But um, basically, teaching came about uh, as a means to kind of like have a job in the field, um, all while being able to create on the side until I'm able to uh, get myself in an environment like Atlanta or LA to create um, on a bigger cinematic platform. If that makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so right now, I'm just uh, teaching. Like I said, it's a it's a way for me to be in the field. And uh, to be able to like create on the side as well. So, and, and until the until the big uh, Marvel and studio money starts coming in. <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, did uh, what? What uh, I should say? What uh, school did you go to for your masters? Uh, I went to this school in Baltimore City called uh, MICA. MICA is mm-hmm. an acronym for uh, the Maryland Institute College of Art. Um, okay. Yeah, apparently it's like a really big nationally known art school uh, which i didn't know until i went there so and um that graduate film program is fairly new like i i think i was the second i was a part of the second graduating class from it do you do you find that doing the masters uh increased your knowledge of it or kind of kept it the same or um i think it increased the knowledge and it also like kind of like it, it made me it made the knowledge click for me because um, I remember when I learned how to be a filmmaker and how to make films at Stevenson, like I understood it, but at the same time, there was still something in the back of my head where like, not only was I a student, but I also was like, you know, a college kid, like having fun and, you know, being concerned about, you know, balancing fun in school as well. But Mm -hmm. um, once I got into grad school, um, Grad school was like, it wasn't the real world, but it was like a step towards it. Like I I knew I was very close to the real world when I got to grad school. So a lot of the ideas uh, that I learned about when it came to filmmaking, uh, it just, it just clicked more for me there. Cause for one thing, I was a baby in my class. So like, um, and I think it was like seven or eight of us. So I was working with people like twice my age that have like, that had varying different experiences in the industry. So I was learning stuff from them um all while like doing projects with them as well so uh yeah i think grad school definitely like it made the knowledge click for me and it just solidified it uh that much more so i'm super grateful for the experience yeah and i have to imagine um to your point of coming in with different ages that um you know people bring different uh, approaches to filmmaking you know some people might have done it when they were still working predominantly in film like physical film versus where we kind of came in because obviously we're only about a year apart um we kind of went more for a digital approach did you kind of find that to be the case um not so much so at micah um micah the, the cool thing about them was that uh since they're an art school they're very much rooted in you know like create whatever it is you want to create, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, as long as it means something to you and you can explain that meaning to an audience of people in a way that it makes sense, 
you know, they were just like, create whatever you want to create. So whether um, you wanted to uh, shoot digital, like we were taught mostly, uh, one of the cool things uh, Micah did, like Stevenson, uh, Micah, from what I understand, taught it both ways because, um, mm-hmm. you know, at Stevenson, you know, like your freshman and sophomore year, uh, they teach you how to shoot on the Airflex cameras with like actual 35 millimeter film and everything. And I think they did the same at Micah. So um, for undergrads, I think. Uh, if you are a grad student, I think you would have to like kind of do that by yourself if that's something you were interested in. But um, they right. definitely have the options. Like Micah, they had Steenbacks and stuff uh, just like Stevenson did. So, um, so yeah, Micah was just really open when it came to uh, a lot of the projects uh, the students wanted to do. So. Yeah, I guess it's it's got to be pretty cool to have. Um, and I and I I know I found this with Stevenson, and I'm sure you did as well. the The ability to uh, feel the the safety of being able to do these projects and try things, and um, especially with having uh, quite a bit of equipment at our disposal, it was nice to be able to try different things and experiment. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I feel like our professors like encouraged us too because um, GT uh, to the viewers listening they don't know who he is <laughs> uh, he was one of our professors at Stevenson he uh, he would always talk to Tariq and I um, and he'd be like yeah man like I know you guys rap you know I'm excited to see like if you guys are like shooting music videos or like practicing practicing shooting music videos uh, in a way that'll have us to like understand the medium a bit more so yeah I definitely right. agree with that. Yeah. And actually, uh, it's good that you brought up Tariq because we had him on like two weeks ago. And one of the things I wanted to ask him about when we just didn't get to was um, more about his uh, interest in music and pursuing that. And um, I know you guys did a lot of, uh, I guess, collaborations, for lack of a better word. And uh, did was that something that just kind of came about organically or just something that made sense to you or what kind of what kind of brought you guys together? Um, short answer, yeah, it did happen very organically. Uh, Tariq and I, um, we've been cool since, uh, not even our freshman year. Uh, we, we met at Stevenson's Mustang Day, which was like, um, you know how like colleges have like those orientation days where, uh, potential freshmen come in. Uh, Mm -hmm. he and I met that day and, um, because I think we were we had previously met in like the film meeting that we had with uh our um department chair. So right. after that I remember one of the days we were just kinda walking. Uh I think we were walking out of the gym or into the gym for some type of assembly and we got on the subject of music. And I remember around that time during my senior year of high school I had started to rap more. Mm-hmm. Um so we were just like talking about rap music. He was telling me his favorite artist and I was telling him mine. And um I looked at him, I was just like, you know, I rap a little bit myself. And he was like, for real? And I was like, yeah. And he was just like, I do too. <laughs> and um, and in the rap world, uh, whenever somebody says they can rap, especially nowadays, um, well, I ain't gonna speak for nobody else. I have to speak for myself. Whenever somebody would tell me they can rap, I'm always kind of skeptical. And I'm just like, oh, you can you can rap. And then they'll be like, yeah. And I'll be like, all right, you know. Spit me, spit me some lines right now, and that's what I told Tariq to do. Like I asked him to like spit me a verse of his that he liked, and right. um, dude killed it. Like it was, it was so dope. So after that, you know, I rapped for him too, and um, I guess over the summer we ended up becoming Facebook friends, and we talked a bit more. 
And when our freshman year started, uh, we were actually neighbors uh, in our dorm. He lived across the hall from me. Um, and us collaborating rap-wise, that happened our sophomore year. Because our freshman year, we did like solo projects. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we still were close collaboratively because um, whenever I would record, um, back at home in Virginia, I would record with these guys I went to high school with. But since I was three hours away, I couldn't really... Uh, make that trip anymore. So luckily, Tariq had a microphone, so I would record with him uh, whenever I was in Maryland. Um, but our first big collaboration happened our sophomore year of Stevenson's Founders Day talent show. And um, I think I had brought it up to him. I was like, yo, it would be really dope like if you and I like joined forces and like did a song together. Because the previous year, we both tried out for the talent show as solo artists, and we didn't make it our right. freshman year. So our sophomore year, I was like, how about we going together? You know, it'd be really dope. Like, people already kind of knew at that point that we were good rappers, but we hadn't really performed for anybody yet. So uh, from that sophomore performance on, um, you know, he's, he's, he's been my boy. Uh, we haven't released a project yet, but prayerfully that'll happen in the future. Yeah. Especially yeah, when all I- this COVID stuff ends. I know this is such a, uh, such a wrench in things, but I know I've found, uh, that trying to find ways to continue working has been, uh, very beneficial for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm curious, uh, to, to hear some stuff when, when it's done and, uh, ready to go. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The only collaboration we've had so far, uh, that's actually like recorded and you can listen to. Um, mm-hmm. the song we did for our sophomore year performance, um, shucks, that's terrible. The title is escaping me, but <laughs> mm-hmm. Tariq, he released a mixtape last year called the cool shop effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's available to download online. And, um, the track we did our sophomore year together, it's a bonus track on there. Um, it's actually one of my favorites, uh, that we've ever done so far. So, um, uh, so you can hit him up and like, definitely check that out when you get a chance. Do you guys or do you find that your styles are similar or different and and like work well together or just kind of like you guys had to adapt to fit together? Um, I think our styles are vastly different. And I think um, it's one of those with opposites attract uh, type of deals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because our styles are so different, um, it gives listeners, you know, like, like say, like people that are really into a lot of hip hop. He's into because Tariq, he's a very um, he was raised around '90s hip hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so say, like we have a listener that's you know has tastes that are similar to his, uh, and then when they hear somebody like me, um, I wasn't raised around a lot of '90s hip hop, but I'm I was raised like listening to like a lot of like conscious rappers. Like, um, I don't listen to like a lot of trap rap. Uh, Nothing bad is about trap rap, by the way. I feel like it's definitely a place and time for it. And I think it's uh, dope music coming out of that movement. But um, yeah, I'm kind of more of a contemporary rapper, whereas, whereas Tariq, his sound is very much based uh, in the 90s. So if somebody uh, who has similar tastes uh, to what he's listening to, they can rock out with him and then they can hear me spit too. And they can be like, oh, snap, you know, this dude, you know, got a like type of, he has like a contemporary flair, you know, but. Um, it's something new, you know, they can get hit to as well as, uh, listening to Tariq as well. So I think that's something really cool about both of us. Like the fact that our styles are vastly different, 
Um, and I think that's the thing that kind of makes it like kind of fit together, kind of like a cool yin and yang type of vibe. Yeah, I was, I mean, I, it's been a while since I heard you guys. I listened to most of his uh, mixtape and I remember hearing your guys's thing. And actually when you brought up the talent show, I remember, I think I was there for it because it, I fondly remember it. And I would definitely say you guys have like a yin and yang about you. Um, I don't, I don't really know much. I mean, I've listened to hip hop. I have my preferences and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, I would say you probably, you probably hit the nail on the head as far as styles based on my limited knowledge of it um but i how did you like i mean you said you kind of listen to more contemporary stuff but how did you kind of come to terms realizing that you can actually do it yourself um to be honest uh i had always thought rap was cool but uh, i started realizing i could do it myself uh around middle school um you ever heard of this rapper named Twister? He's a really fast rapper from Chicago. It sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, he did this song with uh, this R&B artist named Faith Evans called Hope. It was actually okay. like the title song for uh, the Samuel Jackson film, Coach Carter. It came out in 2005. Okay, and, yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember when that song came out, like uh, I used to ride with my sister. She's older. Um, mm-hmm. She would always play that song. I always thought that was like, such a beautiful like R&B slash rap song. So basically what I did, I like took the lyric book from her <laughs> and I like learned all of Twister's parts. And um, after learning his parts, I kind of was just like, I, I'm, I think I want to like try writing myself. So uh, I like would take half of his verse out and I would like write the other half myself with uh, rhymes I would come up with. And um it was like elementary school, middle school type rhymes, but um, that's kind of like what really got me started uh, writing. That was one thing that got me started writing. The second thing, and arguably the most biggest thing, um, I have a buddy from Waldorf, Maryland. His name is Miles. Um, I remember in 2007 to 2008, Lil Wayne dropped uh, the Carter Three, which is like a really big album of his. And on that album, there's a song called A Millie. And I remember around that time, uh, a lot of artists in the industry, for some reason, were just like writing their own versions uh, to to a Millie. So um, Miles and I, you know, we were thirteen year old thirteen year olds that thought we could rap as well. So I remember he would come over. He came over that summer in two thousand eight, and we just sat down one day and just like started writing our own verses to a Millie as well. So um, so after those two experiences, just throughout high school, I would write and write and write, and um and I would showcase it a little bit towards people but i really didn't get serious about rapping until like my senior year of high school so yeah okay and did uh as far as it's into first off it's interesting that you're able to realize like oh if i take out um certain parts of lyrics and replace it with yourself that's like a good practice do you do you find you do that with or did that at one point at least with um scripts as far as movies um see the funny thing about movies uh like i got into movies kind of vastly different um i actually didn't get into movies with scripts like if i could really like trace it back um i think there were two big things well three big things that got me into movies i'll try to keep it brief because <laughs> i can mm-hmm. talk a lot um, one of the main things I think that got me into film, uh, I remember, uh, my grandfather, uh, he used to go to my home church 
And one thing mm-hmm. he would do, um, the pastor had him in charge of like recording the sermons and just the services as a whole. So he had like this camcorder that he would put on a tripod and um, he would record these services every Sunday. So I remember I was like seven or eight years old. Uh, it always intrigued me. Like whenever I saw anybody in a family with a camcorder, I always was that kid that was like, oh, can I touch it? Can I like play around with it? And you know, my parents would be like, no, because it's like a big piece of machinery to them. But um, I remember when I was that little kid in church, I went to my grandfather one time and I was like, hey, that looks really cool. And he was just like, want to learn how to do it? And I was like, for sure. <laughs> so um, he taught me uh, how to record uh, sermons. And after a while, uh, he uh, he had like a second camcorder. So he would get the sermons from one angle of the sanctuary and I would record them from the other. So he and I were like recording sermons together um, when I was a little kid. So uh, I think that's one thing that kind of got me into film and I really didn't know it and realize it. Uh, the second two things, one of them smaller than the other. Um, I used to draw a lot as a kid, um, mainly superheroes. Like I would draw like DC and Marvel comic superheroes and I would also make my own superheroes up. And I didn't realize it at the time, but as I would draw them, uh, I kind of drew them like movie posters. So like I would draw the hero in the middle of the page and I would have like the hero's name up top and like down below, I would have some type of like tagline about that hero. Like um, I had this one hero, uh, it's funny now, I named him Black Cat. He was like this kid version of Batman, but instead of a bat, he was like a black cat. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, I would draw him a lot and I would have like log lines at the bottom of these drawings. So not even knowing it then, I was like drawing movie posters and um, didn't realize how it would influence me later. And the third thing was just um, I started like collecting movies in middle school uh, and I would always watch the special features. And in my head, I was just like, whoa, like this camera work and direct and it looks like such a cool thing to do. Um, originally I was into it because I was like, oh, directors make a lot of money. So (laughs) I do something that'll like make me a lot of money growing up. But, um, as I got older, I started paying attention, uh, to the filmmakers themselves, uh, and learning more about the craft in college. Um, I started to appreciate filmmaking more, uh, as a craft, as opposed to like, you know, a job to make money. So, uh, so those are the three things that really got me into it. into filmmaking as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting to me finding, uh, finding out what people's path is to something like this, because we all kind of approach it differently and, uh, you know, like just discover this love for basically an art form. I mean, literally is an art form, um, differently. I mean, and that goes beyond movies and, TV. I mean, it goes into photography, music, uh, painting, anything. We all kind of approach it differently. So I always found it fascinating how people, you know, did that. Yeah, I've always been a fan of like um, stories about filmmakers and just artists in general and how they start too, because um, you always wonder, you know, and, um, and you also like try to connect the dots to their story to yours sometimes to see like if there's anything similar or if there's like anything different. So, um, yeah, I've always thought, uh, that aspect about artists was really interesting too, just seeing how they got their start. Was there, was there a filmmaker from a young age that you're, or even a movie that you kind of just gravitated towards and kind of 
was like as a springboard to wanting to do it along with the other things you mentioned? Uh, kind of like a favorite film or just a film in general that was like a springboard? Well, I guess if they're different, I guess one or the other. But if they're the same, is or is there one movie that kind of just really was a pivotal point for you? Okay. Uh, hmm. As far as a pivotal point, uh, I wouldn't call it a favorite film, but I do remember the film in, in particular that I watched a lot as a middle schooler uh, that really got me into filmmaking. And it's hilarious because like it's nothing against the filmmakers, but it's not like a <laughs> it's not like a groundbreaking film or anything. Um, you remember the film Like Mike with Bow Wow in it? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They released a independently made sequel in like 2005 or like 2006. And it was like a straight to DVD type of thing. So mm-hmm. um, I remember I got that DVD for Christmas and like I watched all of the special features and um. And I was just watching like how that director worked, uh, everything he did, like how he worked with the writers and everything. And um, I didn't realize I didn't realize then that it was like a smaller budgeted film compared to the original. But um, I think something about it just in my head just made me think, oh, wow, I could I could do something like this one day. So um, I would watch that film like every day, like coming home from school. Uh, like whenever I had free time, whenever I wasn't doing homework or anything, I was just always watching the special features, just like seeing how it was done and everything. So yeah, shout out to shout out to Like Mike too. It's <laughs> <into> filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, that it's uh it's funny with the uh special features thing because I hear that a lot, myself included. Um I'm I'm a not as much anymore, but I was a very avid movie collector. And uh especially physical media. And, um, but I was the same way. I would, I would watch the bonus features almost more, certainly as much, but it was almost more than I would watch, um, the movie itself because I just thought the process was almost more appealing to me than the movie. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and just reading about how they made it and just, I wanted to know everything about it. And I just have that, the brain for it, I guess, where I soak it up um like a sponge i feel like that's pretty common with all of us yeah i almost think like learning the process of something is almost cooler than like watching a final product um mm-hmm. i've realized that more so about myself teaching this film appreciation class because i remember the first time around i taught it um i remember i was teaching my students about the hollywood studio system during like the 20s and 30s so basically when sound started to come in Right. I remember uh, I assigned uh, for the for the students to watch The Wizard of Oz. So I remember before I assigned it, um, I like watched it myself, and I was just like doing research on it. And um, watching The Wizard of Oz, you know, it's a it's a really cool film to watch because it came out in '39, I believe, mm-hmm. and um, I think it still holds up as like a really cool family film today, um, especially with all the visual effects that they had in their repertoire back then. But um, just sitting back, like learning about like not only how they did those effects, but a lot of the stuff that was just going on behind the scenes, like ultimately was way cooler to me than like just teaching them like, oh, like when it comes to The Wizard of Oz, this adaptation is the one that's pointing to the most, you know, like just really learning about like how that film was made arguably was way cooler to me uh, than like watching the film itself. So, yeah, that's something I definitely would agree with. Yeah, I've I've 
like I said, I've always found it fascinating and funny enough. The how you had like Mike too. I had uh, Forrest Gump. Funny enough, was my um, film where I was so fascinated by the way that they did everything, especially the whole idea when I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a real thing like this. Like I was almost thinking it was a documentary and somehow because of the way they were putting him into footage. And um, there was a brief time where I used to think that if you died in a movie, it meant you died in real life. I didn't like oh, wow. to, yeah, you know, to, I mean, this was last year now. Uh, this was <laughs> when I was much younger. Um, but just like that whole thing, I'm like, wow, they really committed to this or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I always just thought that was fascinating and it, uh, it, it kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of like, I want to learn more about everything, you know? Yeah. Forrest Gump is a great one. Like, um, for Forrest Gump in general, like, uh, I've always said, like, I never had a favorite director because I, I feel like I'm still on the journey to like getting to know, uh, filmmakers and like how they work and everything. But if I had to like, decide right now like gun to my head like who's your favorite director robert zemeckis is definitely up there he um i feel like people don't talk about him enough um granted when it comes to special effects and stuff he's not like james cameron or george lucas but the dude did some pretty revolutionary stuff in his films like especially in the 80s like back to the future is probably one of my favorite trilogies ever um forrest gump like you said uh Forrest Gump and I actually have a unique relationship. Uh, Forrest Gump came out on the day and year I was born. So Forrest Gump and I are the same age. <laughs> the movie. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So Robert Zemeckis and just Forrest Gump in general. Uh, really dope film. Uh, and just going back to your point, it's a film I love learning about so much. Because there's always something interesting about it. Yeah, and it's interesting for me, too, is... Um... A lot of the films, like I, I've had this conversation with people and we might, you and I have may even had this conversation of kind of what, what's kind of the best decade, which is so, I know it's, it's a kind of a loaded question, but what's the best decade for basically media as a whole, music, movies, television, all that stuff. And my quick answer with, I think, good examples is always the seventies. And because I think the sitcom, I mean, there were hugely groundbreaking sitcoms all in the family, the Jeffersons. I mean, the list goes on. Um, and then, of course, you have the the De Niro's, the Scorsese's, the um, George Lucas's, all these people that were kind of coming up in prominence that were kind of making their start and changing what we know as film. And then, you know, I'm a big 70s for music fan as well. So to me, it all kind of culminates in that. And in the last few years, like the older I get, the more I watch movies from that decade. And like, it just fuels my answer that much more. Yeah, 70s definitely was a great time for media. Um, I feel like it partially was because of the 60s, too, because, you know, counterculture and everything. Uh, the 60s kind of made it OK to like not be. um for lack of better terms, uh, super clean, whether it was film or music or any type of media. Like, I feel like the 60s, like, was like, it's okay to be a little rough around the edges. It's okay to, like, be really raw. It's okay to have a story 
that doesn't necessarily end happily, you know? And um, so, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's why the 70s, like as a decade, was probably one of the best for media as a whole. Yeah, and I don't know. I It's interesting to think about what kind of changed it and not to say like things necess- necessarily dropped off, but it's interesting, mm-hmm. like, why did it hit there, which I agree with you is definitely the roll off of the 60s, but then come into like 80s and 90s. I mean, 90s was kind of independent cinema. When I think mm. 80s, I think either horror or I think action films. Mm. And, and 80s, oh, sorry, my, my bad. No, no, go ahead. And I was going to say the 80s is such an interesting decade uh, for me when it comes to film as well, because um, I, I think the 80s, like whenever I think of the 80s, I just think of like pure like entertainment, like not to say that there wasn't any like conscious art or conscious films being made back then because there were. But um, I feel like a lot of uh, the older 80s movies that filmmakers like, whether they're filmmakers older than us, filmmakers our age. Um, I feel like a lot of really dope entertainment came from the 80s. Like I, I think heavy entertainment, whatever I think of the 80s, whenever it comes to cinema. Yes, that's exactly right. Because I, like like I said, going off of horror and action, I immediately think of a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger or these like more like the muscle-bound guys that was kind of the dominant um, uh, field. And I guess in the same way that we have this superhero renaissance right now where everything is dominated by the superhero genre they had the action film like the cop genre um it's it's kind of cool to look back and you know people that complain about the superhero thing it's like well if you look back we have like i said the cop genre we had the western we had the gangster film we had that kind of like they were diamond dozen we saw them everywhere Everybody, every generation seems to have their genre that, uh, or type of film that just they make so many of, and then they kind of just fade away or become these kind of more artistic pieces. Like a Western now, you see, is more reserved for these like art pieces, like True Grit or um, Hostels or mm-hmm. any of these kind of you know films like that. Yeah, I'm actually, um, I've always wanted to do more research on trends like that because um, I don't know a lot about Westerns as a trend. Um, I do know they were like really popular in the 60s, um, but I've, I've always wanted to do research on trends and just going back to what you were saying, like what makes them kind of fade out right. and um, what they become later, um, especially just thinking about the superhero genre because um, I'm not sure. Like, there's been a genre of film that uh, was popular and lasted as long as the superhero one. Because, mm. um, sure, we've had, like, superhero films kind of sprinkled, like, in cinema, like, from, like, the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. But, like, from, like, 2008 until now, like, it's been insanely popular. And I don't see it, like, really dying down or anything yet. So I'm I'm really interested to see like what keeps a trend like that going and um and when it does fade out, like why does it fade out? Like I've I've always been interested in that, especially with just uh the superhero genre as a whole now. Like um not oh go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, like not to sound like cynical or mean or anything, but I'm actually 
like I'm waiting for the day or like the time uh, when superhero films do fade out so that I can better see like, oh, well, like what happened, like what stopped it, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I it like I said, uh, as you're saying as well, it is it's interesting to kind of to look at that the ebb and flow of it because like for westerns they were probably hitting its peak in the 60s but they've been around i mean one of the first feature films was great train robbery so which mm. was what ni- 1900 1910 something like that so westerns yeah. have been around for i mean decades of time and they were everywhere i mean you had your big budget ones your john waynes and your clint eastwoods and all that but you had these other ones, and then it, of course, transitioned to TV with Gunsmoke, Bonanza, all this kind of stuff. And I think my my kind of unresearched opinion is it just saturated the market, and people kind of got a little bit tired of it. They got tired of the um, the the good guy hero, right? To your point before about the counterculture situation. Um, I think people wanted something different. They didn't want just the white hat is the good guy. The black hat is the bad guy. They wanted, well, what if he's wearing a gray hat? And what if he's, you know, not the nicest guy? And, you know, it started to evolve. And we saw the outcome of that transition into, like I said, the 70s and the 80s um, that went a little bit darker with things. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. just go, going back to your point about um how the Western kind of faded away and now it's kind of reserved for art pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see like, I don't know, like in the year 2048 or something like um, somebody make a superhero film and like how it would be made then, you know, because right. um we grew up watching these films, you know, so we in the back of our heads, we kind of know how to make one. We know what to look out for. Um, we know what they have, what they don't have. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, a superhero film made in like 2048 or 2050 or something like that. And how that filmmaker like, you know, um, has homages in it or Easter eggs in it or whether they will or whether they won't. So, yeah, I'm always fascinated about media in the future. Um, there's always something really cool to think about. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, to that point, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, with the whole thing with the movie theaters because of the coronavirus, you know, what, uh, you know, like Universal, for example, as you probably know, is is doing more like the home releases where you pay twenty dollars for basically a rental fee, not to buy it, but to rent it for 48 hours or whatever. And then, you know, people are kind of getting accustomed to it, myself included, where I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'll just pay to 20 bucks, whatever. And uh, it sounds good and I'll watch it and whatever. But it'd be interesting to see once the things start opening up again, I want, I won't say go back to normal because I think we're going to get a new normal, but, um, things start opening up again and, 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 uh, we're able to go back to the theaters and stuff. What's, what's going to stick, what's going to stay behind, you know, what are we going to still get or what's going to basically become the new, straight to straight to video release yeah definitely yeah that that is going to be really interesting to see um speaking of which uh <laughs> regal entertainment well not not only just regal but like uh theater companies all over 
uh, they have not been playing fair because um I remember uh, before theater said they were going to start opening back up on July 10th. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people that was like, yeah, that's cool and everything. But, you know, I'll wait like maybe two weeks, maybe a month or so to see how everything pans out. Because I didn't want to like jump back in immediately. But um, right. they're they're making it like so hard because um I'm low key a traditionalist when it comes to watching films in theaters. Like I'm usually that guy that's like, oh, I'd rather see it in a theater. Um, I don't mind watching things at home because I feel like we also kind of grew up in that generation where you know we um we were kind of one of the first generations to really use Netflix heavily. Uh, mm-hmm. so like I said, I'm kind of used to watching stuff at home, but if it's a if it's a film like Tenet or something like that, like I definitely like have to see that in theaters. But um, the theaters I feel like they're making it so hard for me to say at home because they're playing like these classics, like they're doing this thing like where they're testing the waters, where um instead of playing new stuff immediately, they're just like re-releasing classics for like five dollars. So um, I know there's a drive-in like an hour away from me. They're like playing the entire Back to the Future trilogy on his huge driving screen. And I'm just like, I want to go see it so bad. <laughs> uh, I think Regal's like playing the Empire Strikes Back too. Um, they're playing Jaws, Jurassic Park, like all these really dope classics that I never got to see because I wasn't born when it came out. Um, so yeah, they're like making it really hard to like stay at home <laughs> and like to be safe uh, while, while like playing all these really dope classics uh, on a big screen. So um, it's move on a business tip, definitely. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's um, it's been kind of cool to or or uh, fun to see. Like they're they're desperately, obviously, trying to get us back in, and you know they have to they have to be careful not to do it too early, but also they don't want to do it too late because they want to obviously start making money. They've they've lost out on how many releases now, you know, and things. Like next year, come twenty twenty one, assuming things get back to normal pretty soon. Um, I mean, twenty twenty one is going to be flooded with stuff. How many things got postponed and pushed back? You yeah. know, it's it, it's going to be like we're going to have no money. Uh, people like <laughs> ourselves that that like to go to the theater. That's, I mean, I suppose it's it'll be worth it in the end. But uh, yeah, it, it, you're right though. There's nothing better than the theater experience, and I think there's a good chunk of people that still feel that way, especially for these bigger like tentpole movies. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that'll kind of keep the theater alive. Cause I know a lot of people are like, Oh, this is going to be the end of the theater. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I think it'll evolve. I don't think it'll go away. Yeah. I definitely agree with it. Um, evolving. <clears throat> uh, one wild thing about COVID though. I remember like a week before uh, the quarantine happened. Uh, I played drums at my church back home and I was talking to my, uh, church's keyboard player. And, um, I don't know what got us on the subject of like film releases, but, uh, we were just like talking about it. And, um, I think he's the type of guy that like would probably prefer to watch things at home because he was just saying, um, yeah, like, you know, theaters would like make more money if they were like, you know, release the film in theaters for a certain amount of time and like also release it at home. And like, I very naively looked at him and said, uh, that, that probably would be cool, but like, that probably will never happen in our lifetime. Like I legit said that and like a week later, Trolls World Tour was like available to stream from home. 
and I just I laughed um, when I saw it. Like I thought it was so funny um, because a week prior I was just social. I was just like, oh, if they do do that, you know, we're either going to be old or in a grave somewhere before they do something like that. And lo and behold, they did it like a week later. <laughs> yeah, so, it's um, it's uh, it, it, karma can be kind of funny that way, or mm-hmm. not even karma necessarily, but just like you know the universe or you know whatever it's kind of to to that point i was i was uh the other day i was talking about gas pumps and gas stations and um here in jersey we have it where people do it for you you know you you tell them what you want and stuff and i was saying i'm such a person that i would rather do it myself i think it's quicker and all that kind of stuff but at the same time it is nice you know when it's colder out or whatever to have somebody do it for you and I said, and we were talking um, and people, the people I was talking to were like, oh, but some people don't know the difference like gas and diesel and all this stuff. I'm like, the diesel is the green one. If you don't know that, you know, you're kind of <laughs> silly or whatever, right? Making this big stink about it. Well, here I am today. I pull into a BP gas and I'm about, I'm like waiting for the guy to come over. He comes over, he goes, this is the diesel section. And I was like, what the? I was like, of course. I look and it's, a, of course, it's a green handle. And I'm like, look at this. This is karma getting back at me. So I had to turn around, you know, whatever. But I'm like, what are the chances? You know, you say something now and it's like two weeks later, it's, you know, getting back at you. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Talking about like culture, because um, I uh, I didn't get hip to the fact that like up north, they'd pump your gas for you um, until I like went on a, I think it was either, I think it was like a trip. Uh, I, I went to New York one time when I was like nine or 10. I remember we like stopped. Uh, we might have either stopped in, in Jersey or um, what are some other states that implement that? Like is Ohio one of them where they like pump gas for you too? Um, I think they used to. And I think Oklahoma, not Oklahoma, um, Oregon. But I think Jersey might be the only one left now. Okay. Yeah, we, we stopped in one of those states. And I remember uh, my dad was just so confused because he was just like, yo, they just asked like to pump my gas for me. <laughs> and uh, I think either I think the people we were with, because um, we uh, we had some friends that were from New York and we were driving with them to New York. So they knew like not only New York, but like just how other areas up north worked. And we really didn't at the time. Cause we hadn't traveled up there and they were just like, Oh no, no, that's just like a, that's like a Jersey thing that they, they like do that up here. And we were like, wow. Like we just culturally, we, we were just so surprised as to how different it was uh, when we went over there. So yeah, I always think it's a uh, culture is just such an interesting thing, uh, especially when it comes to different places, like geographically and like how they speak and uh, just things that they practice and what they do. Absolutely. And and I might have said this to Tariq when we were talking. So some people that listen might hear this again, but I uh, and more so as I get older, I'm like more and more fascinated in just how people work and kind of a uh, non-official like study of people. I just kind of like in the back of my mind, I'm always like keeping an eye on people and different things and um, in the almost opposite direction of what you were talking about like when i first started going down to like maryland for school or to these other states like some of my family lives in virginia now i'm like expecting to you know i'm sitting there waiting 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 i'm like where's the the person to come and you know 
do the gas for me or whatever. And I had to like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, we're, we have to do it ourselves here. Luckily, I had like seen it enough times I could kind of, I you know, easily do it myself. But yeah, it is, you're right. It's, it is kind of interesting to see how, I mean, not just gas, but just in general, how, you know, or slang words or just different things that we speak the same language, but somehow in some ways we almost don't sometimes. Yeah, I think uh, going to Stevenson was definitely a big thing for me, uh, learning about culture and just culture shock as a whole. Because um, being from from uh, Virginia, um, I'm actually from Southern Virginia, like not uh, Nova. Mm-hmm. Uh, Southern Virginia is very like, like the way I'd always explain it to Tariq, because Tariq's like a really big history guy. Um, I told him, I was like, if you were ever to come to visit me in Southern Virginia, you'd love it. Because not only Southern Virginia, but just Virginia as a state in general is very rich when it comes to a lot of American history. Like uh, Jamestown was in Virginia and um, a lot of big things happened in Virginia back in the day when it comes to American history. So I always tell them, I'm like, if you're a history buff, <clears throat> you love Southern Virginia. But if you're just like a regular Joe, like <laughs> trying to look for somewhere to go and have some fun at, like Virginia is like not it. Like we don't have the football team or anything like that. So I remember coming to Stevenson for the first time uh, my freshman year. I remember one thing that stuck out to me the most that I thought was so wild. I remember on Sunday, I would see everybody at Stevenson, or at least a good amount of people, like rocking purple. And I was like, why is everybody like rocking purple? And um, I ended up realizing a lot of these people were like Baltimore Ravens fans, and they were just excited that the Ravens were playing that Sunday or whatever. And I remember like a year or two later, um, I don't know if it was a Super Bowl or if it was just like a really big game, but like the Ravens won something and like everybody on campus like went crazy. And I was just like, wow, like it's just, just culturally, it's just so crazy. Like going from a state who doesn't have a football team to going to a state who has one with a bunch of people who have like a lot of pride in that team. And they're just like really happy for it. Um, it was such an interesting experience that I'll like never forget. Yeah. Sports uh, and sports culture and all that stuff has always kind of been fascinating to me. I mean, I, I have my teams, New York Yankees, the giants, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but just as a outside observer, because like, I like watching them, but I'm not like obsessed with it. Like, or like, you know, think the world's going to end if they lose or something like that, you know, but just seeing how, uh, excited or how uh emotionally attached people get to certain teams is very interesting and very uh kind of fun to watch because like you were saying with everybody's wearing this color and you know they they're showing their pride or wanting you to think that they're showing pride or something like that it's like you get different levels of people's involvement and it's kind of kind of fun to to gauge and figure out uh you know are they actually watching the game or are you just kind of giving into peer pressure and doing what everybody else does? And like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Again, it goes back to like that whole like culture study. Definitely. Uh, Speaking of uh, New York and everything, uh, I have a question. So you, so you from Jersey, like that's like your hometown, like your home state. Yeah. Born and raised in New Jersey. Yeah. Cool. So I have a question. So I don't know if this is true or not, but um, I'm a big Kyle Metro Mother fan. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, I remember in that show, uh, the main character, Ted and Mar- Ted Marshall, uh, whenever anybody would mention Jersey, Ted and Marshall would just like get super upset about it. And they'd just be like, oh, F Jersey, forget Jersey, you know, like um, I remember there was even a girl Ted dated and she was just like, um, oh, I want to like, like if we get married, I want to live in Jersey. And he was just like, what? You want to live in Jersey? Like, why? <laughs> so like, is the New York and New Jersey thing, like, is that like, like them beefing? Is that like a true thing? Or was that just something from How I Met Your Mother that they kind of just like kind of played on because I know the creators of that show they they're either from New York or they lived in New York for a time in their lives or something like that um I I think that there's definitely a rivalry there um or a uh friendly tension I guess um that yeah I don't know uh, it I mean you could boil it down to like a sports thing because like, you know, the New Jersey Devils and then the New York Rangers are very close rivals. Um, and I think it's just like, it's like a sibling thing, you know, like um, we'll sit here as New Jerseyans and say like, you know, we have the best pizza and bagels and New York's pretty good too, you know, like kind of thing. We always, <laughs> you know, put a dig at New York in the same way they do it to us. And it's just like, uh, I don't know of any like specific um event that would have made it that way but i think it's just like a bordering state rivalry thing gotcha okay yeah and it 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 makes sense that how much mother would exaggerate it because i just feel like that's the humor of that show uh anyway which which i dig so much um uh, that show was such a good time i miss it (laughs) i i think also too um because a lot of people that there's like people that live in Jersey, but work in New York. And so it's kind of like, there's a lot of crossing over and, you know, we, we have the river that separates us. Uh, I believe it's the Hudson. I'm going to test my geography there. I believe it's the Hudson river. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of like, we have a city on our side. That's kind of cool. And you have your city and like, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, it's more like a friendly sibling rivalry thing is is the way i see it anyway gotcha gotcha yeah Yeah. now you said so southern virginia so uh my my family lives in fredericksburg is that that's not close to you right um fredericksburg is shucks fredericksburg is maybe an hour 30 hour 45 near me i think north of Um, you or north of me yeah sorry about that yeah yeah yeah, yeah I think. Oh, go ahead. I, no, I was gonna say is because uh, like Tariq, I'm pretty into like all that history stuff, and so I've always wanted to go like Mount Vernon. We did Richmond the one time, so like I I've been piecing away at it, picking away at Virginia when I go down there and stuff. So I was just always curious. Yeah, I'm actually like 35 minutes south of Richmond, so like Richmond, I'm probably that's like the closest uh, thing I that's like the closest city I'm at. Uh, yeah, my hometown is this like country spot uh, called Dinwiddie. Um, okay. Generally, whenever I say that to people, they'll be like, "Oh, I think I've driven through Virginia once. I think I've driven through a Dinwiddie." I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's probably it." <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a nice little like chill area. Um, nothing really happens here. 
uh, at all. Like it's nothing but like farmland, horses, hay, uh, all that. Like, like if you could picture Owings Mills without like its suburby part, that's pretty much Dinwoody, just with like more farmland. Right, so, like the yeah. Green Spring area. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of like that kind of stuff. Like, I loved the drive to Green Spring. I mean, the windy roads weren't always my favorite, especially at night, but the views were always great. I thought. I mean, I'm sure you're used to it, but like these big houses and like you know the the huge yards of the animals and all this kind of stuff. Like where I'm at is more pretty much like suburban, like the other half of Owings Mills. So I've I have like some farmish area and like the other side of our town is based around the largest lake in New Jersey. So we're, we're kind of like lake town, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it is nice to uh, drive through areas like where you're at sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've been getting to know Richmond as an area too, because um, despite living uh south of it all my life uh i never uh like as a like as a teenager in high school i never like really um would go out to richmond a lot um i actually just started going out to richmond like probably two years ago after i finished grad school um i didn't realize how many things were there to do um it's Mm -hmm. so fun uh the main thing i do when i go to richmond um i just i see movies a lot because uh there are there are two movie theaters in the city. Um, one is a more modern theater called uh, the Bowtie, um, mm-hmm. and I go there a lot because uh, it has like a main theater that plays a lot of the first run stuff. So like all the superhero tempos and everything. And right across the street from it, they have like a small indie theater that plays like a lot of the indie stuff that like you know we'll probably read about online, but like we might not be able to see until it comes out on DVD or whatever. So um, generally, I always go there to see, like, the small independent stuff that I want to see. Like, um, I, I didn't see The Farewell there, but I did see um, this really cool documentary called Three Identical Strangers. Um, yeah, that played over there. So, yeah, um, so I go there to see independent stuff. And there's also this older theater in Richmond. Um, if you ever come, it's called the Bird Theater. It was built in 1928. Um, surprisingly, it's like still there. It still retains like it still retains the way it looked in 1928 in the inside. Um, I think the only thing that's been replaced in there, other than uh the screen, probably are some of the seats. Um, like the main seating area, those are like modern seats, but um, even then, there's still seats still in the theater from 1928. Like it's wild. Um, and I go to the bird a lot because, uh, they don't play first run stuff when it comes out. Like, um, Avengers Endgame, we'll use that as an example. Uh, that came out in like April. So that was playing in Regal and AMC and stuff for like three months. So after it has its run at those theaters, it would then come to the bird. Uh, and you can watch Endgame at the bird, uh, and the bird is cool too because it's really cheap. So you could wait three months to see Endgame if you wanted to, and you'd pay like five dollars instead of like twelve fifty to see Endgame. And it's really beautiful theater too. So 
Um, so if you ever get a chance to come out to Richmond, definitely check the bird out. Uh, really great theater. Bow ties too. Yeah, I uh, like I said because I have family down there. Um, a lot of times we'll go out and see them around President's weekend, and uh, we actually went down to Richmond. And so I actually and I brought my film camera. I have a picture of uh, the outside of the Bird Theater, so I know where you're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah that that area in Carytown too is really nice as well. Um, I love that area's aesthetic. Um, for some reason, I don't know what it is about the '50s, but the '50s as uh, an aesthetic is just really, really beautiful. Like I love the architecture from the fifties. Um, especially when it comes to like, uh, old buildings, like, uh, like I said, just going back to the bird the architecture of the bird is beautiful. I know like art deco as an art movement, that was like a huge thing in the fifties too. So, um, and Carytown like retains a lot of it. So, um, whenever I'm not at the bread, I'm just driving around Carytown. It's like admiring the scenery and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it it uh it was a cool city. I we unfortunately we went when it was like kind of rainy out, so like we were kind of limited to what we wanted to do and um did you ever go to uh I have part of the name. It has um mushroom pizza or something like that. Mushroom pizza or or atomic mushroom, something like that. I think I know what you're talking about. Um yeah, I think that's in Carytown too. I actually haven't been to that restaurant, but I've like walked past it a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty good. It was like kind of specialty, like gourmet pizza and stuff like that. And that was that. And we did uh, the museum, which was really pretty cool. Um, I guess it's just the Richmond National History Museum or something. And they had at this time, um, uh, the name's going to escape me. What's the in uh china they had those like uh ceramic soldiers that they found that was like in a tomb Hmm. Uh, you know what i'm talking about uh no that that sounds interesting though well it was it was like yeah completely untouched and they were like you know carved to look like real people of that era and of that location or whatever and uh they had on display like these real not like not fake ones but like the real ones temporarily on display it was like a exhibit or whatever and uh it was really cool to like walk through and see artifacts from it and then of course like the full scale statues which are they were like you know human size they weren't like large or anything but they were to scale for people and stuff and it was really cool just learning about how they built these things and like what they think they were for because they can only go off of what what little information they have which is crazy Definitely. Yeah, I think that museum you went to is probably beside the VMFA, uh, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like two two of those buildings. They're both in museums, but one does art and one is uh, about history and stuff. So yeah, I actually haven't been to the history one yet, but I've been meaning to. Um, the VMFA is a really good art museum too. Uh, my buddy uh, Ben and I, you know Ben, uh, mm-hmm. we went to um, an Edward Hopper exhibit one time he's like a really big painter um back in the day he would paint um a lot of uh not landscapes but uh he painted like a lot of hotel rooms and uh like theaters and stuff so he painted a lot of buildings and inside and what they looked like um the museum was really really cool um i forgot what painting he's like known for like because i remember ben was telling me there's like a painting that hopper's like really known for. 
it's it's slipping my mind though. But uh, yeah, that exhibit was really nice. So if you ever get a chance, come out to the VMFA. That's a really great museum. Yeah, I'll have to check it out because I I've definitely gotten more into going to museums and things like that. I I used to not be because I think it was always tied to school usually, and like obviously we all like weren't fans of school. I'm sure and and uh i've said this in the past but i'm i've become more interested in learning since not being in school anymore because it's like at my own pace and uh and uh when i was in la right before all this uh quarantine stuff happened um we we were out there for a few days and uh one of the last things i did was i went to i can't think of it actually funny enough uh the name of it or the the building itself it's called the uh, i can't think of the name los angeles art art museum something like that but anyway the lobby or one of the building's lobbies was in inception i just watched the movie last night i'm like wait a minute i know where that is and i looked up where they filmed and i'm like that has to be the same building because i remember this like giant staircase and then it flattens out and then it kind of goes down a staircase again and i'm like huh that's like i know exactly where that is but regardless the exhibit for that was um uh all of the hollywood um vanity fair like portraits and stuff like that mostly annie Leibovitz, who's one of my favorites um but like a couple other photographers as well and i mean these were just like stunning portraits like poster size prints that were like sharp as anything and like just the the subjects of course were cool but just the way they worked with light and all that kind of stuff is it was just really something to look at i bet yeah definitely yeah going back to the museum thing i wasn't a huge museum person either um and uh i I never had anything against museums i just i don't i guess i wasn't raised to really go to them right um but uh after a while like i know one thing uh with me just going back to your point of just being a student outside of school um i know a lot of filmmakers are always just like study other things other than just filmmaking so um whenever i go to museums now i always have that in mind so like whether it's like a sculpture i'm looking at or like a painting i'm looking at or something um i'm always looking at it observing it uh, trying to see if there's anything in it that can inspire my work in any type of way. And um, I listened to you and Tariq's podcast too, by the way, like a few weeks ago or so. And uh, that's one thing I admire about both of you guys. Like you both always like are seeking out more knowledge um, outside of school. And um, yeah, like, like I said, it's just something I've always admired about you guys. So yeah. Well, thank so you. Slowly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Slowly but surely, definitely trying to just like, seek out more knowledge uh whether it's in museums or just in other practices and stuff too yeah well i i know for a fact Tariq is like farther along uh than i am i i i kind of say that i am hoping that i'd be it better at the practice of it you know like i do a lot of my own research and i've been reading more and doing things like that um but i certainly could uh step up um, what I want to do. But like I said, I like the ability to go at my own pace. And, you know, when things come up where I'm interested in, I will go down and research and look up things and read about them. And like, you know, until I, I read about it until it fills 
that um, that void, at least for the time being. And then, of course, if I want to read further on it, I do. But yeah, no, he's he's great with uh, all that stuff. That's why I wanted to talk to him about it and just kind of get his uh, his take on it. Yeah, he's like such a big reader, too. Um, one, one thing, like one benefit of our friendship that I do like, um, he's inspired me to do more reading. Um, and not only him, too, just like my whole circle, because I remember in high school, like um, I was a good student. Like I made good grades all the time, but um, I never was the type to like really purposely like pick up literature to read it like um i would read it for my english class when we were done with it i'm like all right bet like i can <laughs> focus on my rap thing and focus on like my film thing uh but now uh just keeping the thought of just learning more things outside of school in mind um i'm more open to reading more now like uh, i recently bought robert Iger's book the guy who's the ceo of disney uh yep. like a year ago um that entire book kind of talks about um, his journey becoming CEO of Disney and what he went through. Um, it's a really good book. It talks a lot about leadership. Um, I'm not halfway through it. Yet. I actually just kind of started it recently, but um, it's really cool. Really cool book. Yeah, the, those are more of the kinds of books I've kind of gone towards. I At first, so I've been doing this Goodreads um, book challenge, just like started on my own. And uh, I started it late. I started in March, um, but I wanted to try to read 20 books by the end of the year. And I'm I'm about eight, almost nine books in. Cool. And uh, yeah, I, and that's like eight books more than I've read in the last like decade. And uh, I quickly like started with narrative thinking like, oh, that would be easier. I can think about it, like especially as a with the movie brain and stuff. But then I quickly realized I'm like, I kind of want to read more nonfiction or or even historical fiction so that at the end of the day, I finish that book. And then it's like, oh, I've also like learned something from it. I was entertained, but I also like learned something from it, too. So uh, I'm, I'm after I finish the book I'm on, I want to try to switch gears and go a little more like nonfiction for a little while. That's what's up. Yeah, I know for me, too, uh, just on a reading tip. Um, I know I'm more likely to read if it's something that I know I'm going to be interested in. Um, right. I do think that's something I have to grow from. Like, I, I think like if a friend um, suggests a book to me that I know nothing about, I should still be able to be like, ah, I'll check it out. <laughs> you know, even though I don't know anything about it because um, I do that well with the films. Like if somebody tells me to go into a film blind, I'm actually really excited because generally, um, the times I've gone into films blind in the past, they've often been really good experiences. So um, that's something I have to learn to do better with, uh, with reading. But, um, but right now though, I generally read a lot of things I'm interested in. Like um, one of my favorite books I've read in the past five years. Um, I don't know if Chris assigned you guys his book when you went to South by Southwest, but um, I remember when my class went, um, it was this book he assigned us called Sleepless in Hollywood. Does that sound familiar? Yes, I have that book. I, I read it. Yeah, that book was so freaking cool to me because it explained um, the industry as we know it now in such a really understandable way. Like it, it explained stuff I was experiencing 
and um didn't really realize if that makes sense. Um yes. I like that yeah, I like that that book so much. I remember when um I was in class, I didn't own it. So I was like, um, I think Ben and I or Tariq and I were like sharing a book. So whenever Chris would assign chapters, I would read it one day and Tariq would read it the next. Um, I like that book so much. I remember I went to Ben's house about a year ago and I saw that he had it. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to have to like buy a copy one day. And he was just like, oh, do you want mine? He was just like, I'm not going to read it again anytime soon. And I was just like, of course, like, give me that book, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that, that's probably one of my most favorite books I've read uh, probably in the past five years. Really great. Yeah, no, I remember enjoying it a lot. And just all that, all that detail that, um, you know, you wouldn't think of in this, this kind of stuff. And you're like, huh, this is uh kind of eye opening, And, uh, it, it was cool. And that's why I'm excited to read like books, like you mentioned with the Bob Iger book. I, um, I've, I've, I have had it on my long and ever growing list of, uh, books that I want to read, but you know, like I said, trying to get something out of it, whether it is a biography or, a you know, a thing, a book about an event or even science or, you know, whatever. I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm interested in learning. And it's not even like necessarily an ego thing of like, oh, I know something that somebody else doesn't, but it's just a nice feeling to know, like when somebody's telling you something that they wouldn't expect you to know. And you're like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Or being able to explain something to somebody else, you know, you go to a museum, like you said, with the painter, uh, uh, hopper and stuff like that and you can go and be like oh i'm familiar with this i've you know re- i've read up on him a little bit or you know whatever it's just nice to have this like base knowledge of something yeah i, I definitely agree um i feel like knowing things uh i know for me like when it comes uh I- i'm not a huge american history fan however i am a huge fan of like the history of businesses um, mm. I don't know what's satisfying about it, but like, um, I know like one thing I'll just like do randomly, <laughs> like if I'm just like chilling or I'm bored, I like go on Wikipedia and I like read up on the history of like Walmart. Um, mm-hmm. because, um, I like to buy a lot of my films and stuff from there. So I like read about Sam Walton and like how he started Walmart and like this small, like a uh, little store. And then it ended up becoming this huge, you know, thing like it's arguably one of the biggest like grocery chains uh that we have in the world so um yeah it is like really satisfying to learn about the history of businesses like that uh that you frequent or like shop at a lot so yeah, i definitely agree definitely yeah. satisfying about it yeah i do that uh kind of same kind of thing with uh either producing or like you know like film people or even especially production companies as a whole um, especially the smaller ones, you know, like mm-hmm. that were started by like more like individuals say like, uh, I always use him as an example, but Jason Blum with Blumhouse or JJ mm-hmm. Abrams with bad robot, you know, these like smaller companies, I'm always interested of like, what was their path to starting it? And because it's like something I want to do or, and I'm kind of trying to do. So mm-hmm. I, I see it as like, you know, a, a learning thing and like i'm like okay this is what they had to do okay maybe i can try that and, or do my version of that and and stuff like that so yeah i'm always wikipediaing or researching stuff like that and i feel like it makes you want to like do it more too because um i've always toyed with the idea of like starting a studio or production company and mm-hmm. um 
I think the last one I read about was A24. And um, I was just surprised as to how recent that uh, company became a company. Like, I think they started in like 2011, 2012. So like eight or nine years ago. Yeah. So um, compared to like a lot of the older studios and distribution companies out there, um, A24 is like a baby in the game. But they're arguably like one of the biggest people in the game, too. Because um, um, I, I feel like A24 is such a blessing to the industry because I feel like they're getting out a lot of really cool films that people wouldn't see otherwise, you know? Yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, like like the tempo films, it's a time and place for them, but like stuff like The Farewell and like The Lighthouse, like I think it's so dope that A24... Like, you know, they're a platform for filmmakers to be able to release stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And those are the movies that um, I think people like ourselves especially, but I think as just a general populace are kind of gravitating a little bit more towards even more so now because to your point, time and place for these uh, superhero movies. But sometimes it's like, I want something a little different. I don't want something as necessarily flashy but something that's going to kind of make you think a little bit like a, mm-hmm. a midsummer or or lighthouse or any of these films that you're like huh okay so this is what film could be for not just necessarily entertainment but also like think makes you think afterwards i'm trying to think of an example that comes to mind um but there was there was a couple of films recently i watched where i was like thinking about them for quite a while afterwards that you know not just oh they were cool to watch but they're also like you know left you with a lot of questions or you know things like that mm-hmm. yeah i think one film that did it for me uh not recently but um it's a film i've been wanting to rewatch since i saw it in theaters uh was the farewell um, okay i'm a big aquafina fan well not a big aquafina fan um I, I just love like her come up i like how she was a rapper at first and like now she's like it's on the rise star who's like really good at acting and what she does as well. But, um, the farewell was so interesting to me because, uh, just going back to culture again, it just made me think about, um, how certain cultures act when it comes to like small, like familiar, well, not small familial things, but just familial things like, uh, what to do when the matriarch or patriarch of the family, like, you know, has cancer or like some type of life-threatening disease, uh, like the farewell talks about. And it was interesting to see that from uh I'm sorry to generalize it. Um I think I think the the family in that film was Chinese, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting that sounds see, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it was interesting to see that from a Chinese standpoint, because um being an African American, you know, like we view the doctor a certain way or we view talking to the matriarchs, patriarchs of our family a certain way when it comes to having a life-threatening disease. Whereas um, apparently uh, in that particular film, uh, like they just, they didn't tell that, they didn't tell their grandmother at all that she like had cancer and that she was potentially going to die. So um, that film just made me think more about like how families work and, um, and just the dynamics of it all. It was, it was so cool. Um, and just going back to our previous point about learning how films are made, uh, how the director Lulu Wong wrote that script alone is just a wild story to me. Um, she, uh, 
All right, so how much time do we have? Because I feel like I'm like ranting. <laughs> no, you're good. A couple more minutes. Yeah, well, I'm trying to keep it brief. Uh, brief. Uh, Lulu Wong, the writer and director of the film, she basically wrote the script three times. So she wrote the script in English first. Uh, then she wrote it in Mandarin, but um, she wrote it phonetically in Mandarin because she can speak Mandarin really well, but she doesn't know how to write it super well. So she wrote the script phonetically in Mandarin, and then she mm-hmm. sent that phonetic script to her mother, who can speak, read, and write Mandarin super duper well and like fluently. So she showed the phonetic script to her mom, and she and her mom uh, wrote the Mandarin script out uh, that way. So that way, um, when auditions could come, she'd have Mandarin sides for uh, the Chinese actors that would come in and read. So that fact about that film is so wild to me. I was just like, I couldn't imagine writing a feature film three different times uh, in two different languages. Like that was just so crazy to me in a great way. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I could barely write one, let alone want to do it more than once. So I, I, I definitely tip my hat to people like her doing that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but you know what? Well, uh, I think that's a good place to end and, uh, we'll, uh, finish up here. I think. Definitely. Thanks for having me, Dan.